0: This morning, our scripture is taken from the book of Jeremiah. You might have noticed that since we have not been gathering in the sanctuary, I've taken, uh, I, I've, I've stopped preaching through James so that we will resume when we return to the sanctuary. So we are offering a series of devotional messages from various portions of Scripture. This morning, our text is taken from Jeremiah chapter 17. And we'll read verses 5 through 9. That's Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 9. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an inhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for his leave for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. God richly blessed both the reading and the hearing of His holy word. What I want to do is make six overarching observations from this particular passage, and we can apply it to our own immediate set of circumstances as we go through this difficult season. The first observation is this: this passage revolves around the fact that as humans, our actions, and our outlook on life is based on or determined by our source of comfort and confidence, which essentially is our strength. So again, let me repeat that. This passage revolves around the fact that as humans, our actions, those things that we do, and our outlook on life is based on or it's determined by our source of comfort and confidence, which is essentially our strength. So that's that's what this, this passage is based on. We see it in the contrast that's given. When one draws one's strength is the same place that one will develop their outlook on life. Here's the second thing. The two primary sources of comfort and confidence is either man, and when we speak of man, this is both individually and collectively. So when we say that one has man as their source, that is to say they look to themselves or the collective ideas or the collective strength from humanity in general. We see this in uh, the philosophical discipline called humanism, where the idea is that man's problems can be solved by man himself. So, again, that which uh, our, our actions and our outlook on life is determined by our source of comfort and our source of confidence. And that's what gives us our strength. That's, that's what defines our strength. As humans, we will find strength in man, either individually or corporately, or collectively, I should say. And to have one's uh, strength as man, that is to say we look to the ideas of man or our, ourselves. We look to those things that we possess, or those things that are our sense of power, As the means by which we are strengthened. And that's what gives us comfort. That's what gives us confidence. Those things that we are able to do individually. Are those things that humanity is able to provide collectively. And that's what we see in verse 5. In verse 5 it says. um, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. and And makes flesh his strength. So one source. And, and I say two primary sources because there are derivatives of both uh, trusting in man and the other one. And the other source, the other primary source by which humans will find their strength, their comfort, and their confidence is God, which we see in verse 7. In verse 5, it says, Curses the man who trusts in man and whose strength is, is in, in the flesh. And then in verse 7... As a contrast, it says blessed is the man who trusts in God, uh, whose trust is, or who trusts the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. Now, in a moment, we'll see there is a, a similarity between what it said about the blessed man here and the blessed man in Psalms 1, but we'll show that that is not as similar as it may appear on the surface. So the first thing is this. This passage revolves around the fact that as humans, our actions and our outlook on life is determined by our source of comfort and strength. And our source of comfort and strength is going to be one, or, one of two primary things. It will either be ourselves or human ingenuity, human ability, human power, or it will be the Lord himself. Here's the third thing. The problem with man as the source of comfort and confidence is set forth in verse 9. In verse 9, it says that the heart of man is deceitful and wicked. I like the way that, um, that it's stated in the ESV, that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately sick. So, in other words, to have man as a source for strength, And comfort is to depend on a source that is deceitful in and of itself and that is also disease, which basically means that man is not able to function as he should. I want to pause there for a moment because we know in the New Testament, the Bible speaks of fallen humanity as being dead in trespasses and sins. And it speaks, Paul speaks of the fallen condition as being darkened, our understanding being darkened. In broader Protestant terms, we speak of total depravity. And the reason I want to pause here is because when it says the heart is deceitful and it's desperately sick or wicked, what that doesn't mean is that we are not able to think rationally. It doesn't mean that we are incapable of rational thought, and it certainly doesn't mean that we're not able to function in general. The heart is still capable of love. Uh, We still have the full range of human emotion, and we still have the same reasoning abilities. We can still think. uh, We can think of all of the, the gadgets and all of the technology that is the result of human of human ingenuity and human thought. When the Bible speaks of us being dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible speaks of our understanding being darkened. When Protestant Christians speak of total depravity, what we mean is is twofold, especially as it relates to total depravity. On the one hand, it means that the, the corruption of our nature affects all aspects of our human experience. So that means there's no part of our functioning that is not corrupt. Our affections are corrupt. Our reasoning ability is corrupt. Everything about us is corrupt to the point where Jesus says there's nothing good that can come from us. So what that means is if everything is corrupt, it means that we are able to think, but we're not able to think as we ought to think. It means that we do have affections but our affections being corrupt means that we will not love to the degree that we should, we will not love what we should, and even when we do love, it's not as it's, it's not to the level that it should be. So there's flaws. Even in the best of our efforts, we still are not able to think purely, rightly. In fact, not only that, we, we, we will love those things that we shouldn't love, and the things that we should love we will not give proper affection to. Obviously, this is seen as it relates to the uh, to dealing with our neighbors. Uh, Jesus says that the sum total of the laws to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so I always get a kick out of people when they say, well, I don't have time for all of these rules and regulations, all we have to do is love, just love. And that what they don't understand Is That's where our problem is. We don't love as we ought. We don't love to the degree that we should. And that which we should love, oftentimes we don't. As I said, as it relates to our neighbors, we don't see our neighbors often as we should see them. We don't see them as equal image bearers of God. And since we don't see them as ourselves, we don't love them properly. Even when we talk about self-love, and you'll hear people say, well, you've got to learn how to love yourself, and that's what Jesus means when he says you have to love your neighbor as ourselves, but even our love is tainted. Self-love is tainted. We've made an idol out of ourselves, and so we assume that our love for self is healthy. We assume that our love for, that we demonstrate towards family and friends that it's a healthy love, but the reality is that our love and every aspect of our being is corrupt. And we bring that corruption to everything that we do. It does not discount the fact that we are capable of some good. Some people assume that when uh, Protestants talk about total depravity, we assume that there is no good that can come from us. And that's a misnomer. What it does mean is that no, there's no good that we can do in and of ourselves that is enough to give us the right standing before God because even the good that we do is oftentimes tainted by selfish motives. So we don't don't serve God the way that we should, and we don't serve others the way that we should. But the fact is, most rational human beings are still capable of enough good to help someone else. And so we can do good, and it, it may serve our neighbor well, even if it's coming from ill motives. Uh, even if it's not coming from the right place, we are capable of secondary good, which therefore enhances the safety and the well-being of others. But when it comes before, when it comes to standing before the judgment seat of God or the, the throne of God, our good, as the Lord says in Isaiah, is as filthy rags. So we do good because it's still helpful. You can help. The, you can feed the hungry. You can give clothes to the to those who are without. Visit the inmates and do all of those things and not believe in Christ, but the one who received the meal, the one who received the clothing, the one who received the visit, they received a benefit. So we don't have to to say that we are totally depraved does not mean that every individual will work out or live out all of the evil that they are capable of And that we are not capable of any secondary provisional good because we are. But again, as we go back to look at what the Lord says here in Jeremiah, that if there are two primary sources by which we will define or receive our strength and the means by which we view the world, and that's either man or God, the problem with man as a source for strength and the problem of man as a source for comfort is that man is inherently flawed. And so ultimately, man is not capable of providing strength and comfort and confidence in living in a fallen world. Well, that brings us to a fourth thing. Therefore, as we see in verses 5 through 6, putting one's confidence in the strength of of human flesh is tantamount to being cursed. That's what verse 5 says. Cursed is everyone who's or is, is the man who puts his confidence or who puts his trust in man and makes flesh his strength. So that means we are we are cursed. And and so, in other words, if we if we put our confidence in human ability, if we put our confidence In the fruits of the fallen human diseased heart what it basically says is that we are it's flawed and it's inherently failing because it's a curse and as the text goes on to say in essence to trust in the ability of man is to turn away from God which is to say that the person who trusts in man And in the strength of of the flesh seeks to navigate life in a fallen world according to the reasoning and the resources of a mind that is darkened and a heart that's desperately sick. And so therefore we we see that, that these things that happen that we experience and encounter in a fallen world, the human mind individually or collectively is not able to navigate these things in a manner that is consistent with with the will of God. And to turn to the strength of the flesh is to turn away from God. Or to turn away from God is to put one's confidence and trust in the things that we as fallen individuals are able to see and to do. So, if our two sources... are are two sources for strength and comfort and confidence. Two primary sources are either man or God. The problem with man is we're desperately wicked. We're desperately sick. So therefore, to follow the reasoning of a heart that is turned away from God is really to be cursed in your desperate and difficult situation. On the other hand, we see in the fifth place, in verse 7, it says the person who trusts in the Lord. Now here, what, here's what I where I want to go back to something I mentioned a moment ago. It seems on the surface that verses 7 and 8 are really a reiteration of Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3 in particular. Let me just read that portion real quick. Psalms 1 does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So when you compare that with what we see here in verse uh, in verses 7 and 8, it says, "Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green." And he is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. It it seems on the surface we're talking about the same thing, like, like Jeremiah is reiterating what's said in Psalms 1. But there's a huge difference. The blessed person in Psalms 1 is blessed because of his obedience. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And so, therefore, he is perpetually prosperous because of his obedience. The contrast is clear. The contrast here in in Jeremiah is that the man who is blessed is not blessed because of his doing. Rather, he is blessed because of the object of his trust. So, in Psalms 1, and by the way, I would say that it is absolutely true that anyone who keeps the word of God, who meditates upon the word of God, and does not walk according to the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the position of sinners, doesn't sound, doesn't scoff, that person will be blessed, and the Lord will reward you with eternal life. But the problem is twofold. One, that doesn't describe any of us. And secondly, as Paul says in Galatians, that everyone who, who tries to, to, to come before God on the basis of law keeping, everyone who seeks to, to stand before God on the basis of the law is bound to every part of it. And what he says is cursed is anyone who does not keep all that the law requires. So we have to see the contrast between the blessed man and Psalms 1. And I argue when we preach through the book of Psalms or through the Psalms, I make the point that the righteous portrait that is set forth there has only been met by one person, and that's Jesus. And we are in that psalm, but we are, we are the leaves that are on his tree. We, we are the fruit of his obedience, so we're not looking at the blessed man. So, so I should say this, that in Jeremiah uh, 17 in our text here, this is not a contrast between the righteous man in verses 7 and 8 versus the unrighteous man in verses 5 and 6. But this is a matter of who we trust. And so therefore the person in verses uh, six, uh, 7 and 8 is blessed. Because he has put his trust in the Lord. And I love the way that it's stated. It says, the person who trusts in the Lord has the Lord as their trust, which is to say that they are plugged into a resource that enables them to navigate life in a fallen world. They not only have the integrity of God's promises but they have God himself that they put their trust in, as opposed to trusting in what fallen man is able to think and what fallen man fallen man is able to do. Well, that brings us to a sixth and final thing here, and that is, that's this. Trusting in God does not mean that we are exempt from difficult and trying circumstances and seasons. Notice in verse 8, it speaks of heat. He says there is heat. And he also says there are seasons of drought. And the issue is when those those seasons of heat come, whether it's metaphorical heat or whether it's actual, unbearable, physical heat, or whether those seasons of drought have to do with the crops in the field, or or again, whether it's speaking uh, metaphorically of seasons of drought. The reality is this, that humans, this is part of living in a fallen world. These seasons of heat and persecution and seasons of drought and seasons of trial, these things are real. The question is this, how do we navigate those seasons? And the point that that Jeremiah that the Lord makes here in Jeremiah is that the person who trusts in the Lord will go through those seasons of heat and those seasons of drought. And when they give out, as we often do, they have the confidence that the Lord is the one that is with them. So what it says in verse 8 is that even though there, is, there are seasons of heat they will not fear. And even though there are seasons of drought, they will not be anxious. Now, let me qualify this, because the contrast is this, that when man who trusts in man goes through those seasons of drought and goes through those seasons of trial and those seasons of difficulty, the only resources they have are themselves and their 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 evaluation of this their sense of things. The only thing they have is the human heart and 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 their ability to fix things. But some things man can't fix. And so here it indicates that those who trust in the Lord will go through the same difficult seasons as those who don't trust in the Lord. But as we trust in the Lord, because He Himself Is the object of our trust and because his word has promised our well-being what it means is that we have we, we actually have reason not to fear and we have reason not to be anxious now here's where we need to qualify this that doesn't mean that Christians won't be fretful it doesn't mean that Christians won't get anxious but when we get anxious When we get fretful, we are to be reminded of who our trust is in and what our trust actually embraces. You see, brothers and sisters, we trust, as we mentioned, not only in the integrity of God's promises, but we trust in God's holy intentions for us as well. The example that I often think of is Abraham, when he offered up Isaac. And it's not so much in the way that it's recorded in the book of Genesis, which is it's a wonderful reading, but I love the way it's recaptured in the book of Hebrews because for two reasons. One, in, in, in the book of Genesis, it talks about Abraham bringing Isaac up and being prepared to offer him as a sacrifice and the angel stayed his hand. The way it's described in the book of Hebrews is that Abraham, by faith, offered up his son. In other words, in the mind of Abraham, by faith, he was doing what God called him to do. But then the other part that's added in the book of Hebrews is that he offered up his son believing in the resurrection. And the reason Abraham believed in the resurrection is because God called him to offer up his son, but yet God promised him that through his son that he would have many seeds, many children, many offspring, natural and spiritual as it turns out. And of course Isaac is that important link that leads us to the Messiah. And so Abraham believed God. And therefore, he acted on what God commanded him to do, but he also believed in the promises of God. And his reasoning must have been something along the lines, is that if the Lord is going to take his life, in order for him to fulfill his promise to me, he will restore my son to me. Brothers and sisters, I'm saying this, I I should say I say that to say this that as we trust the lord it does not mean that we will not go through seasons of drought and it does not mean that we will be exempt from all of the difficult things that that are experienced in this world neither does it mean that christians won't get fretful and it doesn't mean that we will not be anxious Look at all of the times the the, the disciples of Christ got a little anxious. And look at how many times Paul reminds his readers who he affirms to be in Christ to not be anxious. The only source of of relieving our anxiety is to remember who it is that we trust. God whose word cannot be broken. He knows what we are going through. He knows our struggles. He knows our strife. And trusting in him means that in this situation, through this situation, one, his love will not be averted. And two, his promises will not be frustrated. There is nothing that we will experience in this life, whether it's sickness or death, that will... Nullify what God himself has promised. Blessed is the one, not who does the will of God and therefore he will bless you. No, what Jeremiah says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord because it is he that will work all things to our good. Lord says in Isaiah, that when you go through the fire, I am with you. And when you go through the, 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 the flood, lo, I am with you. There is nothing that we can experience. There is nothing there's no place that we can go, that God's promises are not or are, are, don't, don't cover us. We are covered by the promise of God. And he has certified that in the giving of his son. Blessed is the man or the woman or the child who trusts in the Lord. Because Christ says there. God has not only promised us, but God has promised us himself that he would be with us and he will be for us. And there is nothing that can reverse what God has promised. Cursed is the person who in the midst of their trials only have human strength to depend upon because they will not be able to see any good. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord because even in difficult seasons, our anxieties are quelled by the integrity of the one who promised and the substance of what he has promised. God's promises are not to be confused with the things that we see with the flesh. And certainly, they cannot be overturned. I pray that God's promises to you would be be amplified in the midst of our trials. As we know of people who are going through, who are, are sick, and who have been affected directly by the virus that we are experiencing, that even in the loss of life, even in the loss of physical health, there is nothing that separates us from the great love of God that is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, the curse is the man whose strength is himself, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ father we come to you in difficult times there are things that are happening all around us that we are not able to comprehend but we do know that you have loved us with an everlasting love we pray that you would strengthen our faith that we would see your promises in spite of the things that we experience And that our whole hope and confidence is in what you have given us in Jesus Christ. We do pray for this local assembly. We lift before you those who are sick, those who are shut in. We pray for those who have been immediately affected by this virus. We pray for the loss of life. We pray for, for church members who have lost loved ones. We pray also father for those who have become fretful we know that this doesn't mean they do not believe you but in this particular circumstances they've been overwhelmed we pray that you would reaffirm to them through your appointed means the sufficiency of your grace in Christ strengthen us to trust you more even as we trust you for the salvation of our souls we thank you father for your grace and your mercies We pray that it would be our comfort and it would be our confidence, even in the midst of trial. We ask all of these things in the sweet and saving name of our Savior. Amen.